Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I am talking with Fiona Carter, who is the Chief Brand Officer of AT&T. Fiona, hi and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here with me in in lovely New York and the Adweek Studios. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. This is my first ever podcast, so I'm super excited to enjoy this with you. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm honored. I can't believe that. You're very first. And uh, okay, so now that makes me a little bit nervous, uh, but I've done a few of these now. So I think I'll, I'll settle down a little bit here. So. <laughs> well, I'm honored and I can't wait to dive in because we have a lot to cover today. So let's start, though, with your role and why you decided to take that on. Yeah, well, I have the best job in the world. I'm so excited and uh, lucky to do what I do. I work at AT&T, which is a little-known company that's been around for 142 years. Um, And we love, love, love this company because what I love about it is that it's really at the heart of everybody's lives. So when you pick up a phone, you're more than likely looking at an AT&T piece of equipment. It connects you to everything you love about your life. But more importantly than that, this is a company that's made huge bold moves. You know, it's an American icon, a corporation, and you don't think of it as being a big, bold mover, but actually buying DirecTV, buying WarnerMedia, moving into content, connectivity and convergence, it's an exciting place to be. And I have the privilege to be the chief brand officer. And, you know, we talk about chief marketing officers, chief brand officers. The chief brand officer role is really quite unique for me at AT AT&T. I have the great privilege to look after PR and employee comms and corporate communications and corporate marketing. I steward one of the large media budgets in the US and in the world. I look after a huge sponsorships portfolio. um, And it's just really fantastic to be at the cutting edge of some of the biggest issues that are facing marketers today. And I work with my fellow CMOs on the team. So we have a CMO who looks after the business side of things, and we have a CMO who looks after the consumer side of things. And really, we are 
a triumvirate that are working together. My role is both to protect but promote the brand, but also to be a thought leader that is really stewarding the way we are moving forward in some of those issues that are affecting every marketer today, whether it's uh, how much money you're spending in the programmatic supply chain, whether it's brand safety, how do you partner in the best way with social platforms. I get to do the thinking and the work around some of those big issues. Meanwhile, my CMO friends and partners, they look to me for creative guidance. My background is advertising agency, so I spent 20 years on the advertising agency side. So I have a real deep understanding of how to build a brand through creativity and advertising. And I also understand how to work with agencies to get the very best out of agencies. And I harness all of that on behalf of our CMOs in order really not only to build the brand, but to drive our business um, forward. So I really believe in talking the chief financial officer's language. We are here to build brands in order to build business both over the short term and the long term. Okay, so I am completely now perplexed on how I'm going to get through this podcast with you because you just gave me a hundred things of pure interest to me that I want to talk about. Awesome. Yes. And anybody who uses the word moves in anything, including bold moves, has my attention <laughs> right away. So I like that word moves. So, um, okay, where do we start? Let's start someplace else, actually. When you first set out, I mean, God, all these things you just listed that you're responsible for. I mean, how did you even get to where you are today? That's a great question. <laughs> I love origin stories, don't you? Uh, look, I'm just a, a British girl that grew up in the countryside. I was the daughter of two school teachers. I didn't understand corporations. My parents didn't. My mother still says, do you get paid overtime, darling? Like, uh, I, you know, I, re I really kind of came from nowhere. I had no vision of what my life would be when I fast forward to where I am now. Um, my mother taught me one thing, though. She was not allowed to go to university because she came from a time and a society where the class that you were born into created the future that you might go into. And so there were certain restrictions. And so she taught me the value of education, the value of ambition, and the value of drive and independence. And so she really was my first inspiration. And she taught me to work incredibly hard to realize your dream. I think perhaps because she couldn't, and there was a wistfulness about that. She mm. told me, I really want you to go to Oxford. And I was obedient. And so I went to Oxford University, really fortunate, an amazing place to learn and to, to find yourself in a, a pre-internet world. I studied French. And that, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> French literature, I am not a great speaker, but that I loved that because it taught you how to understand people and walk in different people's shoes. And I think that's key to being a great advertiser and a great marketer. And secondly, Oxford teaches you to think critically and to be analytical. So that mixture of creativity, the right brain and the left brain logic and analytics, I think is a 
it's a quality that has marked me out from the very beginning. And I got into advertising for a very simple reason. Back in the day, you went into a career office. Remember that? You didn't go on the internet. You went through a door and there was a long set of shelves with all the careers on them. And maybe it's by chance or maybe it's just that uh, advertising starts with an A and it was at the beginning. But I hit on advertising that really, for me, fulfilled what I was really excited about at university. Creativity, but business and analytics too. And when I first got a job in advertising, it was because I was so excited about making an impact on culture. Again, go back in the Wayback Machine, and in Britain, where you don't have Hollywood, the cultural moments were made by these incredible ads on TV. Think about the really, really famous Levi's ads, the guy walking into the laundrette. I don't know if they're famous over here, but these were great cultural moments that captured the nation. And I wanted to be in a job and a career that mattered, that had an impact on society in that way. So that was really my first impetus in getting into this crazy business of ours. Uh, I worked in the UK and on European brands, and I think I also always wanted more. So I started an advertising agency, but I quickly did more. Back in the day, it was called Below the Line. So that's what we know as CRM, email. Uh, And then I wanted to work on bigger brands. So I got myself to the US under my own steam. And I wanted to work on global brands. So I got to work on P&G. Um, I got to work on Always and Venus and, uh, and Campbell's. And I, and I just loved the scope of being a US brand. Again, the fact that you reach so many people and you have the opportunity to really shape and move culture through these great iconic brands. And so I quickly accumulated more skills. Like I've always been not only a hybrid thinker, but kind of a work in progress. I like to find out more. I'm curious. I like to accumulate skills to stay ahead so that I don't become irrelevant. And I think that set me up nicely for eventually roles in the agency world where I was running multi-agency models that were essentially outsourced marketing departments for big brands. So Bank of America, P&G with Gillette, um, I was basically operating as a marketer just inside the agency world. And so when AT&T came around and said, we want a creative external thinker that understands agencies, but knows how to think like a marketer, it was kind of the perfect opportunity for me to take that role. And such a privilege to move from agency to in-house, because that's quite a difficult move for folks to make. Again, a lot in there. I want to come back and and talk about what you just ended with is the move between agency and in-house. Before we do that, though, how do you see our marketing talent today? Because there's been a lot of discussion around the fact that we're just moving so fast. There's so much to learn. How do you keep how do you stay ahead? And then how do you help your teams, you know, really get the skills that they need? Yeah, I I know it's a question that a lot of us in the marketing industry are thinking long and hard about. Uh, What I love about the job is that you really are a jack of all trades. I wonder how many of us realize just how many trades we need to master. 
and how much, how many of those skills we really have to be able to acquire in order to be quite hands-on in lots of different areas. But, you know, I think about it, you have to understand research, you have to understand data, you have to be a media expert, you really need to understand PR, you need to uh, be really, really good at the psychology of your target. There's so many different skills you need, and there's so many specialists out there that are uh, quite often trying to bamboozle you. So how do you <laughs> how do you pull all of this together to ensure that you are super smart? First, I think you have to recognize that you are constantly a work in progress and constant learning is really important. Second, you have to be a self-driven learner. So I, I think constantly curious and crawling your world, your relationships and the internet for more information. Um, and making sure that you process that and metabolize that to be smart. And then I think recognizing that you can't know it all and therefore you need to surround yourself with the most brilliant people you possibly can who are expert and never be afraid of bringing br brilliant people into your orbit because they only make you and your company more brilliant. So really hire A-grade people because A-grade people are, are what you need. Okay, so... First of all, I'm going to use the word bamboozle 10 times. Oh, is that next British? <laughs> I don't know if it's British or not, but it's really cool. And I'm going to use it a lot. I, I guarantee it. And you accomplished so much. I, I would love to go back and, and dig into your agency background. I, I am afraid we might uh, run out of time. So I'm going to focus on your move, though, from agency to in-house, because I think a lot of people are thinking about that from a career move perspective. Some people debate, do I start in-house? Do I start at an agency? Um, I've interviewed many CMOs who started an agency, went in-house. Uh, you don't often hear about it going the other way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there are a lot of folks wondering like, okay, if I am working for a, a brand and I'm trying to, to work with agency partners, at what point do I make decisions what to bring in-house versus what to work with on my agency partners. So that, that's a whole lot. But I'd love mm -hmm. to talk to you about that if we could. Sure. Um, so let's talk about first the move you made from Agency to in-house. What was that like? And, and what were some of the things that you found out were different that you had to overcome? <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting story because I had, think five years ago, um, pre the spotlight on accelerating female leadership in all industries, I really felt I had hit a glass ceiling in the agency world. I was highly valued, but never on the list for those big jobs, like run an mm. agency, run a region. And I was silently seething mm. inside. And I thought, I have to do something different. I really have to, it's on me to make a change here. And so I took a year off and I told my agency that I was going to come back if they'd have me. And they said, yeah, we want you back. So yes, go away, reboot, refresh, come back. And I said, but when I come back, I don't want the same job. I, what I want is this kind of job, and I'm saying it now so you can think about the kind of important role that I really want to, to move my career along. And I came back, and sure enough, they offered me the same old job. And mm. I thought, I've got to make a real move here. So I thought, you know, I think I've got one call to the guy who runs the whole kit and caboodle, the global CEO. We've been in enough really tense, high-stakes pitches together. I'm just going to do it. 
I'm going to make one call and say, I really want this kind of job. I want a different remit. I want a C-suite job. So I put that call in and I thought, well, all that can happen is he can say no or he can not reply. And that's fine. At least I said it. Well, he replied and said, oh, I'm glad you asked. We have a chief operating officer job at Corporate HQ. Come and look after 14 agencies. Mm. And so I was really glad that I'd made that call. Mm-hmm. And so I went to do that job and it was huge experience, like sitting at Corporate HQ, understanding how you report quarterly for a Wall Street publicly quoted company, uh, running a P&L of a billion and a half, really important. Um, but it didn't fully satisfy the creativity and the desire to work hands-on with brands that I loved about my job when I was in the agency world. And it was at that point that serendipity happened. Uh, and really, I give great kudos to Hydrogen Struggles. They knew the perfect casting for this AT&T role. And it was someone who could operate inside the corporate matrix, who was a chameleon enough to be able to operate seamlessly and fluidly in that environment, but had enough of the edge, the creativity, the unconventional thinking, frankly, kind of the agency expertise, and could bring it into the corporation in a way that was acceptable and could be embraced and used. And I was just really fortunate that I kind of fit that chameleon-like profile. Mm. I will say, though, what I love about the agency side are certain things. Like you step across an agency threshold and you feel that magic can happen. There is that alchemy that copper can get turned into gold, that an original idea can come out of nowhere in a second or maybe in a year. Who knows? But there is magic there. The energy and the vibrance of an agency culture, the kind of take no prisoners, we are focused on the very best, the brilliance. I love that about the agency world. But, you know, there's also some challenges with an agency world. The business model is under threat. There's not much process and rigor around talent management. There's not that much process and rigor around compensation. So you win some and you kind of lose some when you're in that world. Um, What I love about the corporate environment is that although it's not as obviously creative, the truth is when you're running a brand, you're truly accountable for how that brand behaves, appears and communicates in the marketplace. And so that's probably the most creative you can ever be because you get to say yes. Mm. You get to decide what work, what campaigns, what advertising you will put out there. And I think that's really, really thrilling. That's why it's so incredible to be in-house. And then when you have the good fortune to work on a brand like AT&T, which has such a massive impact. We're one of the largest advertisers in the US. When we decide to do something, it really, really makes a difference. And I think that's really exciting about being in-house. You talk a little bit about uh, in-house agencies, being a marketer in-house, being um, having an agency. I think uh, what is exciting about in-house agencies and sort of has been I think, hidden for a long while. AT&T has had an in-house agency for a very, very long time, and people don't know about it. Um, What I love about them is that they can get anything done. Ingenious, highly creative, they've seen it all, they can get anything done at speed. You wouldn't think about having Mm. that in-house, right, that kind of capability. But it's really amazing to have a team that know the brand inside out and really have all the facilities and the edit suite and the the skills that you need there whenever you need it. And that is a really great complement to kind of the more longitudinal 
brand strategic thinking, creative idea making capabilities that you get out of an ad agency. And for me, it's best having both. There's just some super quick work that you need to get done with an in-house and you need it done cheap and you need it done fast. And then when you need a really big, mind-blowing idea, that's when you work with your agency partner. And, you know, great agency partnerships, those people are in the trenches with you every day. They've Mm -hmm. seen it all. They've been uphill. They've been downhill. They know your brand intimately. And you can't be a partner like that. And they're always there for you when it's a clutch situation. I I have to give great credit to our agencies, BBDO, Hearts and Science. They are partners and they will go take that hill for a millionth time for you. And you can't beat that kind of loyalty and you can't beat that kind of tenacity. Wow. Okay. So I'm inspired. And speaking of getting inspired, I'm going to talk to you in just a second about what inspires you and how you are enjoying making an impact on the world. But before we do that, I have one question that's been burning in the back of my mind. And uh, it goes back to the beginning when you were talking about how one of the things that you do well in your role as chief brand officer is you also speak in CFO terms. Mm -hmm. And I got now that you had that COO role once upon a time before you took on the CBO role. But how did you prepare yourself for that? Is there any tips on how to really come up to speed to be able to speak in CFO terms? Yeah. Uh, Well, I think it's crucial for any marketer and agency person and advertiser to understand the financial impact and the financial outcome of what you're recommending. One of the people that I admire in our industry, and she was my client for a long time, Anne Finucane, who's now, I think, the vice chair of Bank of America, But she always told me the first thing you must do is understand your brand's business model. How does the money get made? Where does it get made? It's absolutely crucial to understand that. So I think when you put it in those terms, which is how does the money get made, as opposed to understanding a P&L, that really helps you shift from, oh, my goodness, I should have done an MBA or I need to have studied as an accountant. It, it, it shifts to more human terms of understanding how does this company work. So that, that's my first piece of advice. And that's what I learned from Anne. Understand how the money gets made and then understand how marketing can affect, change and improve that. And I'm a huge believer in building brands, but I have a huge passion for performance marketing too. And I think it's crucial these days that uh, marketers no longer sit just on one side of the fence. Don't be one or the other, be both. And uh, building a really strong, robust, sustainable brand will build your business over the short, the mid, and the long term. The data is out there. But performance marketing is going to drive business outcomes that minute, that hour, that day. And that's equally important too. So I really encourage uh, people just setting out to make sure that they understand both sides because those people are really rare. Right now, we have a lot of performance marketers and then we have a lot of brand marketers who are thinking about awareness and recall and vanity metrics like that. The real magic is in being able to understand both. 
And it's crucial to your company because if you can put the work you and the teams are doing to the CFO in terms of impact to the business, then you're only going to encourage more investment in the work we do. Now, that said, let's all acknowledge it's as much art as it is a science. But the more that you can use data, have data be your friend to prove out what you're trying to do, the more important it is for you and the teams and for the budgets that you need to command. Yeah. Well, again, great advice. Thank you for that. I could spend another hour just talking to you about that. But I want to get to what inspires you and how you are making an impact on the world today. And you might be too humble to admit that you are, but you are. So let's go there. <laughs> well, I'm trying to make an impact on the world. Um, I'm actually, I'm kind of inspired by the women in my family. So I told you the story about my mother. Um, if I fast forward to today or say a few years ago, when I think about my five-year-old daughter, it's interesting that I feel those same limits that my mother experienced when she was looking at her life ahead and what she could do with it. I feel like my daughter was experiencing those five years ago. So what do I mean by that? My five-year-old daughter would keep coming to me saying, Mommy, why does everyone call me a princess? I'm a gymnast and I like reading and I like running around and I'm not really a princess who just puts on pretty clothes. What is that about? Why do they keep calling me that? And I explained that society has just learned and decided that girls today would be called princesses. But here's the way to view it. I said to her, a princess is just like being a CEO. You're in charge of a country. <laughs> you have to look after a lot of people. They're relying on you. You have to make sure that they're financially secure, that the borders are secure, that they are emotionally safe, that they have a strong future ahead of them. Like, that's a lot of work, being a leader like a princess, like a CEO. And she's like, oh, OK, I got it. I guess that's kind of exciting. All right, <laughs> I can get into that. Um, but what was so interesting to me was that we... Uh, we hadn't really evolved in all those decades between my mother being a 20-year-old and my daughter being a five-year-old. We hadn't evolved. Like we were still putting labels on women in particular as to what they can be and who they should be. And I, and I think that is perhaps my secret inspiration as I look at my career at AT&T. I had my epiphany when I moved from agency to in-house at AT&T. In my first few months, I was looking at a business advertising campaign for AT&T Business. Scripts, approve concepts, get scripts, look at casting, classic stuff. And I realized that all of the casting was fitting into stereotypes. The CEO in the business ad was a white man. The, uh, the manager of the factory was a person of color. Women didn't really speak in the spots. And I was like, that's not right. Why are we defining the stereotypes in this advertising? Why are we reinforcing the stereotypes? And it really was an epiphany because I kind of looked around the room and I was like, oh my goodness, I can change that because I can say no. So I sent the casting back and everyone's like, oh, it's that <laughs> women's thing again. <laughs> I sent the casting back and I asked for us very rigorously and scrupulously to make sure that we were casting in a truly diverse and inclusive way moving forward. And I emboldened my team and said, it's on all of us because this will keep coming back. It's just unconscious bias. It's the way society has been built, but we need to change it because we know that 
Nine hours of media are watched every day by most people. We know that we're one of the largest advertisers in the US and we put out like over thousands and thousands of pieces of advertising. So if we change it, we're going to show a whole new world to girls like my daughter, to uh, women like my mother, to everybody, a whole new world that shows them what they really can be and shows them that there are no limits to their ambitions, to their hopes, to their desires. So let's do that because we want to really reflect the world that we live in and we want to reflect the world of our customers. I really believe our customers deserve to be marketed to from a place of respect and understanding. And so that moment in time coincided with the ANA creating the See Her movement. And I also realized that as an advertiser, I have the ability just to go decide, to go and join See Her and to do something about it, not just to promote this cause, but to actively work to change the issue around stereotypes in advertising. So I joined See Her with, you know, the folks, Gail mm. and Shelley founded it. Um, I joined See Her and I pledged that AT&T would use the gender equality measure, which is a way of measuring advertising to ensure the positive portrayal of women. Uh, and we became, I think, maybe the first to put that in every piece of copy testing. And we started measuring. We started measuring our advertising, which allowed us to demonstrate that we were improving in how we portrayed women. But more crucially, it gave us data that proved this. Diversity and inclusion is just good business. Those ads with a higher GEM score, those ads actually performed better on all our business metrics. There was better recall, there was higher purchase intent, there was higher consideration and higher brand reputation scores. So we actually had the data. And then I think what is so exciting is that there's a coalition of like-minded marketers in the industry that have really decided to go do something about this, very actively go and solve this problem in culture as great brands should, working on real societal issues that matter to our customers. So I'm currently co-chair of See Her with Mark. Um, we've been working on not only See Her in advertising and media, but we've also been working on See Her in sports. I'll throw out one stat at you. 4% of sports coverage features women's sports. 84% of men and women want to watch women's sports. What is that delta about? How do we go solve that? So with See Her in Sports, we convened the leagues, the athletes, the TV networks, the big sponsors, and we convened them just to talk about that issue and that delta. And that opens the mind up immediately. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but it starts everybody focusing on what little micro actions can they change? Can we get a network to pledge that in their highlights reel each week, they'll put one piece of footage that features female sports? That would be a huge step forward. Can we get a sports sponsorship agency to put inclusion riders in their male athletes deals to ensure that female managers, female athletes are included? Can we get sponsors to realize that we shouldn't just sponsor the male athletes, we should sponsor the female athletes? We did a deal with the NBA and we made sure that we also had a deal with the WNBA and AT&T became the first non-endemic sponsor to go on every WNBA team's shirts. And we've um, actively put money aside to really activate and work with the WNBA because it's, it's just overlooked right now. But the athleticism and the sportsmanship is extraordinary. 
extraordinary. It deserves to be watched. And we're committed to trying to build up that incredible team together. We sponsor the women's um, soccer team. We've worked with the United Soccer Federation to let them know how we feel about how they should be paid. There is a lot that we can do together. And the first step is, as I said, convening, looking at the issue, and then getting people to focus on the actions they can take, micro or macro. So that's kind of what inspires me. So I have the great good fortune to work at a company, AT&T, that stands for equality. It's in our values. And more importantly, takes real action, whether it's macro or micro, to make a difference. And I have the good fortune to stand on that foundation and have that company beside me believing in the issue of equality. Wow. Okay. So first of all, congratulations. Secondly, thank you. And thirdly, I absolutely 100% feel like an underachiever at this moment in my life. Not at all. <laughs> you built your own business. How amazing is that? Oh, well, thank you. How thank amazing you. are you as a role model? Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, you're too kind. Uh, I appreciate that. No, I, I'm, I'm very, very excited for a lot of things that we can all do together as an industry. And my business was built on a love to share the great stories of people like you because you're a role model and we need more of those in the world. And I think what's really key about what you said is converting this into action, even if it's micro action, yeah. it's action. And so I love what you're doing. And before we log off now, I have to ask you my last question. Yeah. Everything you just said, put that aside. Mm-hmm. If money and talent were no object – and you had all that in spades. You could do anything in the world you wanted to do. What would you be doing? I don't know what this says about me. <laughs> but what I would really like to do is be as incredible an artist as Lady Gaga. <laughs> do you know why? Because she, she can sing. Like, I, A, I would just love to know what it's like to have such an incredible voice and musicality. B, I think she's such an incredible storyteller. Like she tells stories about love and heartache or the female condition or boys or fun or equality. She tells great stories. And C, I'm Mark Pritchard will tell you the same thing. We share this. We are both extrovert introverts, but we're fundamentally introverts. So um, it's very interesting to me to explore a career where you're on stage and you draw energy from like thousands and thousands of people seeing you. And in fact, that's what energizes you, which is kind of the opposite to me. I have to work quite hard (laughs) on talking and transmitting and communicating and presenting. Um, I just would love to have that experience. And I'm struck by her because I think she's such a unique artist. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, she's unlike any other, a true original so, yeah, if everything was no object, I'd love to be a truly original artist. Come back as Lady Gaga, but if you were truly original, we'd have to give you Yes, I would have to. Yes, I'd have to be it. someone else. Okay, yeah, all yeah. right. Well, I love that, and that's probably why I had this honor of you having your first podcast with me. So <laughs> I'll take that as a bonus for me. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. I loved it. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey. 
Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 